Welcome to another Grattan podcast. You're with Megan from the Grattan Institute, and today we're discussing the growth of inequality. With the recently released Household Incomes and Labour Dynamics in Australia, or HILDA, 2017 report, the story of inequality in Australia has been much discussed. The question of whether inequality has been rising or falling appears to be difficult to answer at first glance, and a different story emerges when looking at income inequality or wealth inequality. So just what is happening to inequality here in Australia? How do we compare to the rest of the world, and what are our politicians suggesting to bridge the gap? Joining me to discuss these questions is Australian Perspectives Fellow Danny Wood. Welcome, Danny. Thanks, Megan. First of all, can you give us a brief understanding of the difference between wealth and income inequality? How are these defined? Yeah, sure. So income inequality is really about differences in annual incomes across the population. So it's the idea of the flow, how much money I'm getting in a given year. Whereas wealth inequality is about differences in the total amount of assets that you've accumulated. Um, And normally we look at that in kind of net terms. So if you have a $700,000 house, you've got a $500,000 mortgage on that house, then your net assets are Mm $200,000. So income and wealth inequality are different concepts. Wealth inequality tends to be more pronounced than than income inequality. Um, And there's then a whole lot of different ways in which inequality might be measured. Um, So sometimes people report the share of incomes or wealth that are owned by the top 1% or the top 10%. That really gives you an idea of just how skewed incomes or wealth are at the top end. Um, another measure that's often used is called the P80, P20 ratio, which uh, sounds very technical, but really it's just sort of taking someone at the 80th percentile of the distribution, which is someone in the top 20% of incomes, and taking the ratio of their income compared to someone at the bottom 20% of the distribution, the 20th percentile. Um, So that gives you an idea of kind of the relative resources that someone that's well off has compared to someone who's not quite so well off. And then probably the most beloved measure of inequality by economists is the Gini coefficient. Um, That gives you an indication of inequality right across the income distribution. Um, The value varies between zero and one, so it's an index. So a society with a Gini coefficient of zero has perfect equal distribution of income. Everyone's got the same amount. Um, a society with a Gini coefficient of one has the most unequal distribution. So everyone, one person owns everything. Um, and so obviously normal nations somewhere between zero and one, depending on how equal or unequal they are. Um, there's a whole lot of traps when you start looking at inequality numbers, because people can be reporting them in different ways, which means they're not always comparable. Um, so you need to look at whether people are talking about household income or individual income whether it's before or after tax is a really important one. Um, And some people also correct for the impact of family size. Um, So generally household disposable income adjusting for family size is really the sort of the best way to measure someone's standard of living because it's more of a genuine sense of how well off they would actually feel. Does household income, um, you know, let's say there's a a fair proportion of people who would share house. Mm -hmm. Is that considered as household income you know when you report the abs data and that sort of stuff is that a household that's a really good question i would it certainly would be for the purposes of the census Mm. collection and i assume that other data sets would use a similar approach um so i think that's probably right that that would count as a household um obviously normally you're kind of thinking of it as a family unit but Mm. just because obviously you know two people in a share house might earn very disproportionately different wages and they would not impact on each other in that's any way. That's right. Yeah, no, that's a really yeah. interesting question and one that I do not definitively know the answer hmm. to. More work to be done. 
And how does inequality in Australia compare with other parts of the world? So our incomes are very unequal by international standards in Australia. We're actually the second most unequal after the United States before taxes and transfers. Um, so that's really important here because Australia actually has a pretty redistributive redistri- <laughs> redistributive tax and transfer system. Um, not because we're a high taxing country, we're actually kind of middle of the pack in terms of taxes, uh, but our welfare system is actually a lot more targeted than most other countries. So if we look at income inequality after taxes and transfers, we're around the middle of the pack of other Western nations. Um, wealth is a bit harder to say. It's it's hard to get kind of good internationally comparable data. Most of the um, data sets I've seen suggest we're towards the top end in terms of net worth. Um, so we have quite high levels of average wealth compared to other countries. Uh, but we actually tend to sit actually a bit below the the middle of the pack in terms of wealth inequality. Um, and the reason I think that is, is because um, a lot of household wealth is tied up in um, housing, particularly the family home. Um, and we still have pretty high rates of home ownership in this country compared to other countries, even though they're on the decline. And in terms of health and income inequality, what are the trends that we're seeing in each of these areas? Yeah, well, this is where a lot of the debate is at the moment. And I think, um, you know, part of the issue is there's always a temptation to kind of pick up the US story and assume the same thing's happening here. And there's obviously a, a very strong trend towards more unequal distributions in the United States. Um, the Australian story is more nuanced, um, certainly not as stark as what we're seeing there. Um, so I think starting with the income inequality, it, it's clear that income inequality has increased in Australia since um, the 1980s. But there's been a lot of debate recently about what's happened in the past 10 or 15 years. Has has the picture actually changed? Um, and part of the problem is we've got different data sets that are giving us slightly different stories. Um, so if we look at the ABS um, survey of income and housing, um, that suggests that income inequality has risen slightly over a 10 or 15 year period. The HILDA data set that you mentioned in your introduction suggests that it hasn't really changed much. Um, so what they're picking up there is that they say the share of incomes to the top 1% has gone up a bit in that data set. But if you use other measures of inequality, like the Gini coefficient that we talked about, that hasn't really changed. That said, um, you know, I think it's important to kind of get behind that data a little bit. Um, we know there's definitely a group that's done poorly over that period, and that's low-income men. Um, they're a little bit sheltered in that household picture. Um, because incomes of women right across the income spectrum have tended to rise over that period. Um, The other point I think to be wary of is we've now had four years of really low wages growth. Um, So labour share of national income is falling, capital share is rising. Um, So we've got to expect that that's going to start flowing through into those inequality statistics. So my best guess is that um, we're going to see more inequality in future years. Um, And certainly when we look at places like the United States, where they've had stagnant wage growth for a very long time, that's exactly the the trend that we're seeing in that kind of data set. The other thing I think is, um, you know, when we've had several years of sort of stagnant living standards, I think people focus more on that question of inequality. I think that's why it's kind of resonating politically. So when the pie is not growing, perhaps you're a bit more aware of um, those questions around distribution. Mm, Yeah. Everybody's paying attention to it more. Exactly. (laughs) So that's the um, income story. Um, In terms of wealth inequality, uh, I think it's a little bit more clear cut. Um, As I said, wealth inequality is um, 
much more pronounced than, than income inequality in Australia, like every other country. Um, so just to give you an idea, someone at the kind of in the wealthiest 20% of the population on average has 57 times more wealth than someone in the bottom 20% That's of wealth so in the country. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really big differential and much more stark than it is for income. Um, that's actually, wealth inequality has been increasing over the past 15 years. Um, that's not because people at the bottom have gone backwards, they've actually grown their net wealth. It's because people at the top are accumulating wealth even faster. And is, is there an age bracket there? So uh, Grattan has previously looked at intergenerational inequality in our report on the wealth of generations. So it seems likely that those who are holding property, you know, and, and have that wealth, that high wealth are potentially in a different age bracket to those who don't. Yes, that, that would be a correct <laughs> assumption. Yeah, there's, there's a very strong um, age element to this. And I think actually... You know, of all the different ways you can cut the data, I think that intergenerational story is, is the most stark, particularly in terms of wealth. Um, so if we look at wealth accumulation over the past decade, someone or a household in that kind of 55 to 64 age bracket is $300,000 richer on average than someone in that same age bracket was 10 years ago. If you look at households 65 to 74, $400,000 richer on average. If you go down to the other end and look at a household 25 to 34, there are actually no change in net wealth over that period. Um, so it is very stark and that's largely a story about housing. Um, those that owned houses before the house price boom have made really large windfall gains. Um, younger people are, are struggling to get into the market. Um, the other part of intergenerational inequality that I think um, may become an increasing concern is in terms of income inequality. Um, so we're seeing now as, as wages stagnate and part-term work becomes more prevalent, um, that's particularly affecting young people. Um, and if we look to the US and the United Kingdom, we can see where that can go. So in, in those countries where they've had stagnant wage growth for a long time, it's now a situation where people born in the 80s have lower real wages than those that were born a decade before did at the same age. Um, in our Wealth of Generations report, we also talk about various ways that um, government policy is exacerbating intergenerational inequality. Um, and I think that would be a great topic for another podcast. Oh, well, perhaps we should do that. <laughs> <laughs> Just can't get enough of these Stay podcasts. Stay tuned, listeners. <laughs> and Danny, we spoke last week about regional inequality following the release of your working paper, but... Um, just again, can you give us a bit of a brief overview of Australia's regional inequality? How does this compare to what we're seeing in Australia more broadly? Sure. Look, as I mentioned last week, um, something that we looked at as part of that um, geographic patterns of economic development paper was to look at inequality within regions. Um, and the basis for that is really that we're going to be more sensitive or we're going to observe more closely inequality within the area that we live. We're more likely to compare ourselves to people that are living in the same region. Um, so we looked at that question using tax office data and we found that inequality tends to be higher and growing faster in the richer suburbs in the cities. Um, region, regional areas tend to have lower inequality um, and we didn't see much increase in inequality in those areas over a 10-year period. So what's being done to bridge the inequality gap? Would reforms like the ALP's recently announced family trust policy changes make a difference in this space? Yeah, I think um, inequality certainly seems to be kind of the, the hot political issue of the moment um, and, and it really has been sort of Bill Shorten and Labor that's very squarely put it on the agenda. 
Um, that said, I think, you know, both sides for a while now have been engaging with the issue of looking at tax concessions and trying to wind back those that don't really serve a strong policy purpose. Um, so, for example, we saw the coalition government introduce a policy to wind back some of the worst excesses of superannuation tax concessions um, in the 2016 budget. Um, Labor's had policies for a long time around um, winding back negative gearing, reducing the capital gains tax discount. They've recently announced that they're going to cap the deductibility of tax management expenses at $3,000. Um, and as you say, the, the policy that they've most recently spoken about is about reducing some of the tax minimisation benefits of family trusts. Um, so at the moment, um, if you have a small business or you have an investment portfolio that operates through a trust, that gives you the opportunity to split income across adult members of your family. Um, so if you have family members that aren't working, um, you can take advantage of their, their tax-free thresholds and their lower income tax brackets. Um, obviously, people that are kind of normal wage earners don't have that opportunity. Um, so the idea of that policy is really that somebody using a trust has to pay a minimum 30% tax on trust distributions. So if, that's, if that person is genuinely working in the family business, you can put them on as an employee. They'll still get their tax-free threshold. Um, but it, it's really targeting that income splitting where someone's not genuinely doing work for that money. Um, so there's a kind of a whole suite of policies that at least notionally go to the inequality point. Um, I think it makes sense to take a comprehensive approach. Um, so if you're kind of trying to move on superannuation or you're trying to move on the capital gains tax discount, then people probably then start to switch into trusts if they've got good advisors. Um, so it makes sense to try and kind of fill all those holes at the, at the same time. Um, but I think, you know, in, the conversation about inequality needs to go beyond just taxes. It's part of the story, but we probably need to start talking about things like the level of new start payments, um, early childhood education, housing policy. There's a whole lot of other policy areas that all have an impact on that question of, of inequality and incomes. Thanks, Danny. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk us through this. If you'd like to read more on regional inequality or intergenerational inequality, you can find our research on these issues on our website, grattan.edu.au. And of course, stay up to date with all of Grattan's news, research and events by following us on Twitter at Grattan Inst or on Facebook, Grattan Institute. For our regular listeners and subscribers, just a short note to let you know we are going on a short hiatus here at the Grattan Podcast. We'll be back in two weeks in early September with another great policy podcast. Until then, you might like to look back through some of our older podcasts or check out our podcast on podcasts for some great ideas on other things you can listen to while you wait. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, then please help your friends to find it by heading over to iTunes to give it a rating or review. Thanks for listening. Grattan Institute is uniquely positioned to bring an independent, rigorous and practical lens to big issues in public policy with the capacity to talk honestly to both sides of politics. We maintain this unique position through the generosity of the public and our affiliate companies. If you would like to find out more about contributing to our continued independence, head to our website to donate grattan.edu.au. This has been a Grattan Institute podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes.